Please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11, Hebrews chapter 11. And we have some Bibles so that everybody can follow along. And Gene and Larry and Len have them. They're making their way down the aisle. So if you need a Bible, just get their attention. They have it marked at Hebrews 11 so that you can follow along as we look at that portion of God's Word. Most of you know that this past Friday... We had a blessed event for our church, which was the ordination council for our brother, Matt Owen. Some of you were able to attend, so you know firsthand that Matt acquitted himself very well in terms of his knowledge of Scripture and correlating the truths of God's Word. And unanimously, the council recommends to our church that we proceed with ordination. And so based upon a vote that we had back November 15 of last year, that upon a favorable recommendation from a council called by the church, we would indeed proceed on July the 18th. So July 18th, Sunday, July 18th, you might mark that. It's going to be another special occasion for our church where Matt is officially then set apart for the gospel ministry in ordination. One of the songs that we sing from time to time says, Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I'm reminded of it because it fits what we see in the book of Hebrews. That those who believe God, and remember believe means faith. That those who believe God, who have faith in God, they trust what God says and they trust what God chooses to do. And because they trust him completely, fully, then they follow his instructions because they know, they trust that those instructions and his way are the best. And so that line from the song is indeed true and it's consistent with what we're seeing in Hebrews. While there's no real biblical way to be happy in Jesus other than to do what he says, it is possible, friends, to have a sort of faux obedience such that In reality, we do what we want, but we've so redefined God's requirements that what we want can be rationalized as the thing to do. And let me expound on that a bit. The Bible has many, many warnings about the world and about worldliness. And yet most Christians, if you ask, are convinced that we're not worldly. I go to church and I read the Bible, I keep a close eye on my kids, so forth. It's all good. But before we exonerate ourselves from the charge of worldliness, which the avoidance of which is part of what it means to obey Jesus, before we exonerate ourselves from that, perhaps we should define what it is. So if you were asked, are you worldly, and you say no, If the follow-up question is, well, then tell me what worldliness is. And you say, I don't know. Then you also don't know if you're worldly. Right? So what is the world? And what is worldliness? Well, the most often translated uh, word for world in your New Testament is the Greek word cosmos. And it means arrangement. The Bible tells us, with regard to the cosmos, the world arrangement, it tells us to not love the world. And in that same passage in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, it defines worldliness 
in terms of what we desire, what we want. And so the world, the cosmos, according to the Bible, is the way non-Christians have arranged their lives, which is an expression of what they want, what they desire, what they value. And so Jesus said to his followers that they will be in the world, but they are not to be of the cosmos. They are not to be of the world. And James, in chapter 4 and verse 4, warns us that to be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. And so worldliness, then, is this. It is fallen values expressed in the culture. Now, with that, do you want and desire and value what the culture presents? Do you have any idea whether the values of the culture are the values of God presented in His Word? And friends, I'm afraid that too many professing Christians have so redefined the Christian life that they can be worldly and still happy in Jesus. We just want to fit in so very bad. We really want the world to sit up and take notice. We just love the values that you guys present to us in the cultural forms that you've developed. And so we spend our money on the stuff you guys produce. And we know we're not good enough most of the time to get awards from you at the Grammys and at the Oscars and at the Tonys. But that would be totally awesome if we could. So we have our own award shows. Christianized to be sure, but based on the same values of celebrity and popularity and sometimes even sensuality and greed that the world so prizes. We've got our shows and our groups. And if some can come to crossover, there's a cool term, isn't it? Crossover. It just makes us so feel so good that you like us. We're like that awkward teen who just wants to fit in. But we really look foolish in the attempt. I remember in high school, standing around with a bunch of, bunch of guys, and one of the awkward teens is there, and um, one of the guys was talking about a rock group, Aerosmith, showing my age. And this awkward teen who just wants to fit in just says, oh, he is really great. Many of you know anything about, or old enough to know anything about Aerosmith, know there is no such person named Aerosmith. And we're like that awkward teen. We want to fit in, but we really look stupid. We really look foolish in the attempt. But we still try. We give our singers the, what do we call it? They are as popular as a rock star. We give them the rock star treatment. We design our churches so that we can have concerts. We sell tickets. Not, and not just at cost, but at exorbitant concert prices costs. And we watch them perform and many wistfully think to themselves, man, she could be on name your favorite program offered up by the worldly culture. 
One group has on its website, as I speak, a headline that says Carrie Underwood has this group on her iTunes playlist. You know you have arrived when Carrie Underwood has you on her playlist. If I could just get my picture taken with. You know, it's not just, it's not just music. It's celebrities in other areas of Christendom. Preachers, similarly. There was a day, I'm not sure if people still do this because I don't hang out in those circles, thanks be to God, any longer. But when I was a young adult, I did. And there were preachers who made the circuit, and they were celebrities in the, in the churches. And when they would come to the church, at the end of their time, there would be a line outside. And you know what the line was for? It was for this guy to sign your Bible. Can you imagine John the Baptist signing your Bible? He would come at you only much worse than I am about the worldliness that that represents. One of the most popular, relatively new preachers in the country is apparently intent on looking like a mixed martial arts guy when he preaches. And he spawned all kinds of other guys to do the same thing. And so I ask you, friends, as we now then answer the question again, am I worldly? What are my values? Have I bought in to the values, the fallen values of the culture? Are you impressed with guys who self-consciously try to look like the world? Are you impressed with preachers who really want everybody to know how hip and cool they are and how in step with the culture they are? And I may have just shown how uncool I am by using the word cool. Does anybody say cool anymore? I ask you that and you still haven't answered it. Matt is my guy that keeps me up on Those of us who minister must always ask ourselves, who are we trying to impress? And those who choose their ministries must always ask, why am I, am I impressed by them? It is extremely sad when a Christian is intent on imitating the world's values. And it is as well sad when other Christians are impressed with those who do it. Let me give you two reasons, and I want to tell you at the beginning, there could be ten that I could give you. I'll just give you two right now, though. Two reasons why this is happening in our day. One is this. Ministry is now being marketed. And ministry and business don't mix well. So, friends, the minute you see a preacher or a group or anybody else, and they may love Jesus. They may indeed be saved. I can't, I can't say that. They may be saved, but the minute they are doing that, they are pursuing ministry in an ill-conceived way. Business and ministry and marketing do not mix. We advertise our church. What's the difference? Advertising is telling people who you are. Marketing is quite different. Marketing is becoming what they want you to be. For the marketer, the consumer is sovereign. And so one reason this is happening in our day, and our churches and our people are becoming enmeshed in worldliness, even unconsciously, is because ministry is being marketed and ministry and business don't mix. Secondly, 
we've adopted the wrong purpose for ministry. Let me make this statement, and before you declare me a heretic, hear me out. The purpose, the ultimate purpose, the highest purpose for ministry is not to see people come to church or even see people come to Jesus. Did you know that? That's not that. The highest purpose is not that. What is the highest purpose? I think you know the answer, don't you? Isn't it to bring glory to God? To be sure now, when that sovereign and glorious God reaches his gracious hand and touches the heart of an individual through the preaching of the gospel and brings them out of the world into himself. Indeed, that is one of the chief ways that he is glorified. There's no doubt about that. But notice, it's the means to the end, and the end is the glory of God. And so it means that we don't just do anything to get people to come. What we do, we do consistent with the character, the glory of the God that we serve and whose gospel we preach. And so we're careful, very careful. And I trust you, if you're not now, will be careful with regard to whether or not we're adopting the world's values in the way we pursue this good end of seeing people come to the Lord. The absurdity of it all is seen easily if you just try to transpose how we market Christianity on those we read about in the Bible. I ask you, can you see John the Baptist signing Bibles? Or getting his picture taken with folks who show up at his crusades? Can you fathom any of the holy men of the Bible selling tickets to make money as a business? Friends, the world as a whole was not pleased with those who walked faithfully with their God. The world was not pleased. The world was not pleased with Jesus. Right? Why? Because it of necessity meant that they to be faithful to God, had to go against the grain of the world. Now, what does all this have to do with Hebrews 11? Verse number 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken... He was commended as one who pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and, he is, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, first I want to explain why Enoch is dealt with in this spot in Hebrews 11, and then I want to show you the connection between Enoch and being a faithful Believer in the midst of a perverse culture. A culture that did not like him, but nevertheless, because he wanted to please God more than he wanted to please people, he preached and stood upon the unadulterated truth of God. First, why is Enoch positioned here in verses 5 and 6? We have begun a study of this passage called Faith's Hall of Fame. 
And in verses 1 through 3, we're given a profound definition of what faith is that we saw a couple of weeks ago. And in verse 4 last week, we saw the first example in Abel, verse number 4. That Abel was considered faithful before God. By faith, Abel, verse 4 tells us, offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. And we saw last week what was better about Abel's sacrifice. It was according to the instructions that God had given. That sacrifice must be a blood atonement sacrifice. He brought an animal, the fat portions of the animals that he raised. Cain brought the fruit of his own hard work in his hands. In effect, my works as sacrifice before God. God completely rejects that. Abel is the first example of coming to God by faith and coming on the basis of sacrifice. And now in Enoch, we're going to see one who, having come that same way, now walks with God, lives for God, as a consequence of that initial faith coming to him in salvation. And friends, the world was not pleased with this Enoch. But hear this, in incurring the displeasure of the world, he received the pleasure of God. God was pleased with him even though the culture was not. Now, how do we know this? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us that God was pleased with this man Enoch, but what did he do to gain God's pleasure? We turn back to the first part of your Bible in Genesis chapter 5. Genesis 5. Some have called Genesis 5 the and he died chapter. Because as you go through the 32 verses of Genesis 5, you find over and over again that sad refrain. Verse 5, and then he died. And then in verse 8, and then he died. And in verse 11, and then he died. And in verse 14, And then he died. And verse 17, and then he died. And in verse 20, and then he died. (laughs) And do you remember that God had said to Adam and Eve, You may eat of all of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of this one tree you shall not eat. And in the day you eat of it, you shall, you remember, you shall surely die. In that day they died spiritually. Eventually they died physically. And all of their progeny now, suffer the consequences, and they died. The wages of sin is death. But in the midst of that sad refrain throughout Genesis 5, verse 21 breaks that cadence. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God, 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. Enoch lived a total of 365 years. When he was 65, he had Methuselah, and from that point on, Enoch walked with God 300 years. This man walked with God. Now, if you weren't here last week, you may be asking the question, why did people live so long back then? 
And I explained that briefly last week. I encourage you to listen to the message. All of our messages are on our website. But this man lived 365 years, 300 of which he walked with God. Ask yourself this. What would your record be like if you had 300 years to walk with God? Truth of the matter is, most of us are struggling with our three score and ten, aren't we? That the Bible says is the average lifespan of 70 years. Apparently, Enoch, as he grew older, stayed away from what one person has called the sins of old men. You ever thought about that phrase? There are particular sins that are characteristic of particular phases of life. There are sins of young men and women and middle-aged men and women, and old men and women. And apparently Enoch stayed away from those as he walked for God. For sure he was not sinless, but a man who pleased God because of his walk with God. Now you may think to yourself, well, he was able to do this because he was in a culture that was not as corrupt as ours. But I say in your outline that Enoch is an example of a believer who lived out of step with the culture, and indeed that culture was every bit as corrupt as ours. How do I know? We've read about Enoch in Genesis chapter 5. Will you look at Genesis chapter 6 just for a moment with me? In verse 5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And and every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And then if you look at verse 7, God, the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. This is a wicked culture indeed, worldliness indeed, all around Enoch. And how did Enoch behave in the midst of this worldly culture, this evil culture? He walked with God, the Bible tells us, but not only that. The Bible tells us he preached a message of judgment to that worldly culture. Notice what Jude tells us about the ministry of Enoch. Enoch prophesied. And he said, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way. And of all the harsh words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch did not walk with God in an easy age. It was degenerate. It was a disintegrating society. As we're told in Genesis 6, it was a society of violence. And people had a rudimentary knowledge of God, but they had lost any real sense of who he is. And so you cannot say Enoch lived in an easier time than we did. His society was part of that society that caused the coming of the flood upon all the face of the earth in which all were lost except for eight people in the ark. He didn't live an easy life. He lived in difficult times, and yet he walked with God in those difficult times against the grain of the culture, avoiding worldliness. Friends, there is something, let me just say it very clearly. There is something, if I haven't been clear. 
there is something really pathetic about a Christian who wants to be like the world. And there is something even more pathetic about a minister of the gospel who wants to be like the world and wants to impress the world. Enoch was not like that because he walked with God and therefore he pleased God. You cannot, you cannot please the world and at the same time please God. So when you signed up to follow Jesus, you signed up to march to the beat of a different drummer. And though it will look different than the culture looks, you say, I will follow Jesus. I will follow him in my individual life, and we will follow him in our corporate life as a church. Believers always live out of step with worldliness as found in the culture. But notice secondly in your outline, believers live in step with God. Genesis 5.24 tells us Enoch, quote, walked with God. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, it tells us that, that Enoch pleased God. Now why does it say walked with God and then in Hebrews 11 it says he, he pleased God? It's because... But there is a Greek translation of your Old Testament. Your Old Testament was translated into Greek about 250 years before the time of, of Jesus. And so you have a Greek version of the Old Testament. Of course, your New Testament was written in Greek. And in the Greek version of the Old Testament, Genesis 5.24, that says Enoch walked with God, it says Enoch pleased God. As a result of him living with and in fellowship and for, with God and for God, Enoch pleased God. The Bible says he walked with God or he pleased God. We need to be reminded of what Amos asked famously. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? And so Enoch walked with God, in effect, hand in hand with God, in the title of today's message, holding a hand that he cannot see by faith, but he walked with God. Now we all know that it's possible to go in the sa- toward the same destination as another person, but to take different paths to get there. But together means you're going to do both. You're going to go the same path toward the same destination. And that's precisely what Enoch did. And how do we know that Enoch lived by faith even though the Old Testament does not say that he lived by faith? Because the end of verse 5 in Hebrews 11 says he pleased God and then the beginning of verse 6 says this. And without faith, it's impossible to do that. And so we know that Enoch was a man who walked by faith by virtue of the fact that he pleased God because it's the only way that that can be done. He walked in the same place with God, to the same place with God. He took the same path with God. And I want you to note as well, he went at the same pace as God also. Enoch walked with God, where God wanted him to go, at the pace God wanted him to go. And we are told in our New Testament, keep in step with the Spirit. 
And as a result of Enoch walking with God, it produced fellowship with God and a righteous life that God commended with which God was pleased. And so Enoch pleased God, pleased God by virtue of believing God. By faith he did that, which brings us to verse number 6 and the third point in your outline. That believers live in the light of what they believe. Believers will always be out of step with the worldly culture. Always. Believers will be in step with God. They will walk the path that God has toward the place that God has at the pace that God has for them. And they will do all of that because they live in the light of what they believe, what they have faith in, in whom they have faith. And that's why verse number 6 tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to Him must believe, must have faith. All of Enoch's walk was because of what he believed, was because of his faith. Verse 6 tells us anyone who comes to God must believe, have faith. And it tells us there are these two things that one must believe, that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's flesh those out for a bit. Anyone who comes to God, verse 6. Now, what does that imply, friends? Anyone who comes to God implies that people do not automatically have a relationship with God. Do you hear that? People must come to God. And so the notion that I hear often, sometimes when people give testimonies of salvation, they might want to join the church and someone will say, you know, I've always believed in God. As if I've always been tight with God. I've always had a relationship with God. Me and Jesus have been thick for a long time. Well, when did that start? When did you come to God? By believing. When were you converted? When were you born again? And every person here must be able to say, there was a time that I came to Him. And those who come to Him, come to Him first with faith, believing that He is and who He is. They must believe, first, as I say in your outline, that God exists. That God is the one who created us. The one who comes to God must have, in the words of Romans chapter 1, must have the suppression of truth that God has given by virtue of the externally created world. Romans chapter 1 tells us that God's existence and His eternal power are known by virtue of what has been made, but sinful people suppress that. They hold it down. They don't believe it. And if someone is going to come to God, if someone is going to be saved, they have to have the scales removed from their eyes by the Spirit of God so that they see now what they have long suppressed. They see clearly the truth that God has endeavored to make plain to them. They believe that God is their creator and they are accountable to Him. And they believe not just in a generic God 
who created and to whom they are accountable. But they believe that, as I say in your outline, the God who does exist is none other than the God of the Bible, Yahweh, Jehovah God, the God of Israel. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but not just any God, this God. This God who has revealed himself in the pages of Holy Scripture, in his mighty acts and through his prophets to his people in the first part of your Bible. Those who come to him must believe that he is. And the he is referring to the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. There are apologetics debates that go on often about proving that God exists and proving that the world had to have a first mover, a first cause, sometimes it is called. And there are movements that have developed, some of you are familiar with intelligent design. And these are all very helpful. I'm, all, I'm very interested in all of that. And I, I read as much of that as I can. But hear this. Simply showing that there must be an intelligent designer does not give you the identity of the one who designed it. The only way you get the identity of the one in whom you must believe is because he makes it known. He reveals it. He has said who he is in the pages of Holy Scripture. And so we believe not just that God exists, but the God who does exist is none other than Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel. And more specifically, and for the purposes of the author of Hebrews, I have for you point C. This God who exists is Jesus Christ. Because remember the burden of the author of Hebrews. God, verse chapter 1 and verse 1. God, who at times past and in various ways has spoken to our forefathers through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by whom? His Son who is the exact representation of his being. He is God. God now, Yahweh, has spoken to us through his Son. And Paul says to some pagan philosophers at, in Athens, Greece, in Acts chapter 17, God now, because he has sent God the Son, commands all people everywhere to repent before Jesus. And so they believe the God who exists is Christ. And what does the Bible tell us about Jesus Christ and what everyone must believe about him? This is the last passage to which I'll ask you to turn, but will you look at Colossians chapter 1 with me? Colossians chapter 1. I want you to see four things that verses 15 through 20 tell us about the God who exists being Jesus Christ. That this creator, Yahweh, is Jesus Christ. Verse 15. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and they were created for him. 
The God who exists is Jesus Christ, and He is the Creator. All things made by Him and made for His purposes and for His glory. But secondly, He's the sustainer of all that He created. Verse 17. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the goal of everything that has been made. Verse 18. He's the head of the body, the church, the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so then everything he might have the supremacy. And he is fourthly, this God who exists, none other than Jesus Christ, is the lover of the souls of men and women. Verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, heaven making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Why did he do that? Because of his great love for sinful beings. And so when anyone comes to God, which all people must do, they come to God believing that he is. But the one who is, is the God who has revealed himself. And he has revealed himself in these last days to be none other than Jesus Christ, creator, sustainer, the goal of all that he created, the lover of the souls of men. And the last thing we must believe when we come to him, verse number 6, Hebrews 11, he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I say in your outline, that means that we must believe that the God who exists, who is Jesus, is a good God. But those who come to him, he will reward. Now, for those of you who may still be awake, both of you, If you're thinking at all, you may be saying to yourself, but I know I've heard you say that we don't seek God. And now Hebrews 11:6 says he's the rewarder of those who seek him. Well, the reason I say we don't seek God is because the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, there is no one who seeks God. No, not one. So how do you harmonize those? The Bible teaches that we are all spiritually dead when we come into this world with no capacity to respond to the gracious overtures of God that we may hear in the gospel. Unable to respond, and therefore no one seeks God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were all by nature objects of wrath. Verse 1 of chapter 2 tells us we came into this world dead in our trespasses and sins. But then in verse 4, it tells us, but God who is rich in mercy. Verse 5, made us alive. Gave us spiritual life so that those who were unable to seek now can seek and further will seek. And so it's God who places within the heart of that individual a desire that he or she did not previously have. They come to God desiring Him above all things. God did a work on the heart of Enoch as He did a work on the heart of Ken Brown at age 19. So that I believed what God said about who He is in Jesus Christ and what He's done for me. 
I believed what he said about me and what I needed. God turned the light on so that I could see what previously I was blind to. And so now I sought him. I asked him to save me, to rescue me, to deliver me. Many of you have had that same thing. You have come to God. You've been born again. That's what the Bible means when it says born again, given spiritual life from above, so that we now seek that which we shunned and had no capacity to pursue. It is by grace you have been saved. It's my prayer that God is doing that in the heart of someone right now. That there are people here right now who are saying, I see that I need this God. That I need to walk with this God. That I am worldly. I'm a worldling. I'm a product of the fallen world. I'm a participant in it. Previously, I've not seen a difference between the world and what God has called us to be in His holy standard. But I see now that I need to walk with God. And the only way that you can do that is the way Enoch came through faith, believing who God is and what God has done. He looked forward to the one who would come, God, the Son, Jesus Christ. We look back to the fact that He has come and accomplished that work for us. And He offers Himself to you. You say, what do I do? You realize what the Bible says about you is true. You're a sinner. You also recognize that what the Bible says about Christ is true. He paid the penalty for your sin on the cross. And you say, I'm no longer going to go my way. I'm going to walk your way. That what it, what's it, is what it means to repent. And I'm going to go to your place. I'm going to go at your pace. I'm going to walk the path that you have for me. And you receive Jesus Christ into your life. We're going to bow and pray in just a moment. And you pray in your own words from your heart to God to ask Him to forgive you and to apply to you what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. And the Bible says, He who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Christian friend, as we bow, I encourage you to examine your heart as I examine my own. Am I walking in step with God or in step with the world? We cannot do both. We must repent and tell God we're going to hold his hand and go his way for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these blessed moments to look at your word and to look at the life of your servant Enoch, who, like all of those who have lived for you and who have pleased you, did so by believing you, by faith. They believe who you say you are and they believe the things that you have done. We believe though we do not see. We walk with you though we are holding a hand that we cannot see. And we are going to a destination that we cannot see, but we, with the eyes of faith, can see it as sure as it is in front of us. Because you have opened our eyes. And faith is being certain, certain of what we hope for. It's sure of what we do not see. And so thank you for the example of this godly man. And thank you for your word that instructs us how we can walk as Enoch walked. Please God as Enoch pleased God. First we must come to him. 
believing who you are as our creator, believing that the creator is none other than Jesus Christ, who is our savior, who died for our sin and is the Lord who rose from the grave and will return again someday. We have the blessed hope of the Lord's return to which all his people look forward. Lord, I pray that there are some here who are receiving Christ as Savior for the first time. That you're doing a work on their hearts so that they now seek that which they had no capacity to seek in the past. Because they know who they are and who you are and what they need. And I pray, Lord, for every brother and sister here who have been drawn away perhaps by the siren call of the culture, the fallen values of the world expressed in the culture. Help each of us, Lord, to reevaluate our priorities and our desires and our wants and our values. And help me and help us and help this church to always ensure that the things we want, the things we emulate, are the things that please our God. For we exist for your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.